We're going to read from God's Word together. If you have your Bible in front of you, why don't you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 1. Sometimes I get um, folk here up sharing or praying to read the Scripture passage, but you'll understand in a moment why I didn't this morning. 1 Chronicles chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. Pray for me. <laughs> this is God's Word. Historical records from Adam to Abraham to Noah's sons. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiraz. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripath, Tagarma, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on earth. Egypt was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, and Naphtahites, Pathrosites, Castellites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. And so it continues. Amen. We thank God for his word. Thank you. Um, sometimes, sometimes, let's be honest, the Bible can be pretty boring and hard to read. Very hard to read. Did the minister really just say that? <laughs> By the way, that's not on the Alpha course. They don't tell you that, that the Bible is actually really hard to read and sometimes a little bit boring to get through. It's just the way that it is. Sometimes the Bible can be really difficult to read and get through. Um, let's be honest. Um, I'm very open about that. But the Bible is the most incredible book collection of books ever, ever written. Um, and Alpha, by the way, does explain that and how it all comes together so beautifully, so wonderfully with such cohesion and unity of message. The Bible is extraordinary. It's the Word of God. But have you ever tried to read through the genealogies listed in a book like First Chronicles? I've been reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 1 all the way through to the end of chapter 9 this week. Descendants upon descendants upon descendants upon descendants, name after name after name after name, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, and all of those big words that are incredibly hard for a Northern Irish man from Carrickfergus to pronounce. 
It's really hard sometimes to be fired up and passionate, to go with the gospel to the ends of the earth in the power of the Holy Spirit when you come to these kind of passages in the Bible and you're trying to unpack what on earth is going on in those moments. Last week, if you were with us, we began a new series that we're calling Resolved, and where we are resolving to be a people who put the presence of God at the very center of who we are, and that everything else would come around that. And in 1 Chronicles 13 last week, we looked at how David, whenever David became king um, of Israel after Saul, the very first thing, the first movement of David as king over the people was to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Presence of God back among the people of God, right into the center of who they were. The presence of God had been neglected during the reign of Saul. He had tried to do things in his own strength. But David, his first movement is to bring back the ark of the presence of God right into the center of God's people. But before we get to that, before we get to chapter 13 and all this wonderful stuff um, that follows on from that, 1 Chronicles begins with nine full chapters of genealogical information and some further information about land and settlements that was distributed amongst the tribal descendants of Israel. And the section ends with this genealogy of Saul, Saul who would die because of his disobedience. And next week, if you're here, and we do hope that you will be here, Shane is going to pick that up in chapter 10 and look at Saul um, and the life of Saul, and actually the downfall of Saul just before those moments when David comes to par. But why on earth is all of this monotonous ge- uh, genealogical detail included at the beginning of 1 Chronicles? Why is it here? How on earth does a preacher preach through stuff like that? Well, you'll be glad to know that the Holy Spirit has been my helper this week, um, and I have a message I have a word from the Lord. In fact, I have three words that I want us to look at and think through over these next few moments. And the three words are trust, prayer, and worship. Trust, prayer, and worship. Firstly, portions of Scripture like these first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles ought to make us resolved to trust the Lord to trust God. Remember, we're at the hinge point of two monarchies, the days of Saul and then the days of King David. But before the, chronic, uh, the chronicler begins to highlight some of the really important things that, that these people need to know about their identity as God's people, and before the chronicler begins to instill within them as a people confidence and resolve again within their hearts as a people, before he does that, he begins by tracing their ancestry all the way back, not to Abraham, but all the way back to the very, very beginning, all the way back to the first man, Adam. One author writes that this is a striking reminder that Israel led the very center of God's purpose from the very beginning of creation. These people are being reminded that they're God's people. They're being reminded that they have an ancestry that goes all the way back to the beginning, to the God of creation, the God who made them 
and has a plan for their lives as a people. Although there would only be a remnant who would remain faithful and true to God, this people, the original hearers of the Chronicles, would need to remember that their security and their confidence, that their resolve, who they were as a people of God, would rest in him, would rest in God, the God of their ancestors, the God who was their heavenly king, the ruler over all the kingdoms of the earth from the very, very, very beginning. They need reminded of that. They need it pointed out that their confidence isn't in a king, an earthly king. Their confidence isn't in a personality or someone who will stand before them and lead them from the front. Their confidence is only in God, the one true living God, the uncreated one who created them and who gave them life from the very beginning. And so the genealogical information would have reminded the original readers that there is continuity, that God is a God of covenantal promise. And his promises for his people were from the beginning. They would flow, there would be an unbroken flow that they were being reminded of, of God's promises, that he was with them. And the flow would come from Adam, through Abraham, through Moses, and to David who would be the king among the people at this time. So chapters 1 to 9 include all of this information. And we would also see that there would be information that would remind us that in a long divided kingdom, unity of God's people would be really, really important. But there's more. Within the genealogical information, the long list isn't just a a past record for their good as a people. So they want to look up my descendants and see who was, you know, in the long family line. Let me look that up. It wasn't just a past record. It wasn't even only a kind of reinforcement for them of their present hope in God. It speaks of a future promise. The record would always speak of a future promise for them as a people. You see, the key thing to know is this when it comes to genealogies in the Bible. The genealogy is heading somewhere. It's going somewhere. Really, really important. It's heading towards Judah, writes one scholar. He says it's heading towards the Davidic dynasty. And this is the point. There is movement and change. There are developments and fresh covenants. But from the beginning, the Bible's storyline has been a unified account heading towards the Davidic line and ultimately towards great David's greater son. That would be the Lord Jesus. The line is always heading towards Jesus. There is movement and there is change among the people of God over the the centuries, over the millennia. But the destination has always been the same. And the destination is always Jesus. It was always going to be Jesus. The genealogical message becomes clear when we think of it this way. God has always had a plan. God has always had a plan. It was always going to come through a people who were created by him in his image to carry his image to the world, to reflect him in the world in which they found themselves. It was always going to come through a people who would be his people. It was always going to come through the people of Israel. The genealogy reminds us of that. It was always going to come through the reign of King David. 
God's plan was always going to come through the reign of David. God's plan was always going to come through the person, work, and reign of King Jesus. God's plan was always going to come through his church. And do you know what? Carn Money Church, God's plan was always going to come through us. We're not here by accident. This church didn't emerge and come together by chance all of those years ago, 400 plus years ago. We are not here by accident. We are God's plan. We're here because he ordained this. God's plan was always going to come through his church, through this church. And do you know what? God's plan was and is always going to be carried out, worked through and displayed in your life and in mine. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? God's plan was and is always going to be carried out in and through your life and mine. Genealogies like this teach us that God has a plan, that God has a plan, and the plan of God is always perfect, and we can always trust in his plans for us. God is always in control of history. Good reminder this morning that God is always in control of history, But more than that, God is always in control, not just of history, but he's in control of your story, your life, your story. Wherever you find yourself this morning, you see as 2024 beckons us forward, you probably have a lot in your life that kind of weighs upon you. We know that. We pray about that every single week when we gather. We know you you bring stuff through these doors. Maybe you're a young person. If you're a young person in here, we're so glad you're among us. You know what? We want you to commit to just turning up every week, to being with us. If you're a teenager, we're really, really, really thankful that you're here. And we want you to keep coming, keep turning up. If you're not able to run out to connect, with all those younger ones, you know, or or kingdom kids, keep coming here because we want you to know that your life matters and we want you to hear right now that God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Whatever 2024 and beyond is going to bring. If you're a parent here with kids, we want you to know that God's hand is on your family. We believe that. God's hand is upon your family. He's a plan and he's a purpose for you and for your family. Maybe you're here and you're single and you're just struggling in life or, 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 or there's a lot going on that nobody really knows about. God has a plan for your life. We want you to hear that this morning. Maybe you're here and you've experienced recent trauma or bereavement or heartache or pain and the very fact that you're here is almost miraculous We're really thankful that you're here, but we want you to know that the Lord has a plan for your life, that God is with you. If he is the God of genealogies that make sense and point in a direction, he has a direction for your life and he is with you. We want you to know that. 2024 beckons us forward to trust in God, to be resolved to trust in him. 
It's amazing because the chronicler races through this genealogy, and I've been listening to it on the audio Bible. It's made it a little bit easier so that I don't have to try and pronounce all those words as I'm reading through it. You want to listen to that stuff on audio Bible? It's phenomenal. I would recommend it this week. Put it on times two speed, um, and it's like, woo, you, want to, you want to hear how it goes? It's amazing. It's absolutely stunning. There's your, there's your task this week. Audio Bible, 1 Chronicles 1 to 9. But here's the thing. As the chronicler races through all of these names, the chronicler actually slows down at, at, at certain points, okay? And I noticed this and I picked this up. And he slows down at two points in particular, two places. One is at the place of prayer and the other is at the place of worship. You see, the chronicler also wants us to be resolved to pray. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, 9 to 10, the chronicler slows right down and gives us what's become known as the prayer of Jabez. Two verses, 1 Chronicles 4, 9 to 10, the prayer of Jabez. Now in the year 2000, there was a little book written, the prayer of Jabez, and apparently it became a global bestseller. I do remember it. Um, it received great criticism actually in, in years after that because some people said it was kind of like this prosperity message. You know, you pray to God and God will bless you and you'll have everything that you could ever dream of. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that you go and buy that book, The Prayer of Jabez, bestseller as it was back in the year 2000. But let me read this little prayer. 1 Chronicles 4, 9 to 10. Listen to this. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. It's an incredible prayer. An incredible prayer. Could sound a little bit prosperity-ish, but that's not the intention. The chronicler doesn't want us to think that if we just pray that kind of prayer to God, that God will just bless us abundantly with, with territory, um, that we'll be free from all harm and we'll never experience any pain. That's not the point. It's not a formula for spiritual blessing. But there's something much deeper in that moment that the chronicler slows down on. You see, the name Jabez, as we hear in the verses, means pain, or born in pain. There's something painful about the character Jabez, who we're introduced to as the chronicler slows down and homes in on this little prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. There's something painful about this person. One author suggests that due to there being no mention of a father in the genealogy for, for Jabez, as was the custom, the suggestion is that Jabez came into a broken world in a very difficult way, but the emphasis of the text seems to be that he prayed his way out of that. Isn't that really interesting? The emphasis isn't necessarily on the blessing that this person Jabez receives from the Lord, but the emphasis is this, 
He came into a broken world as do we. He came into a world with all of its difficulties and pains. We experience that every single day. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is that Jabez prayed his way through it. That he could see what life was like. He felt the pain. He felt the heartache. He knew that the world that he was living in was broken, distressed, and hurting. And what did he do? He prayed. He prayed his way through that. It's a great reminder for those original readers who would have heard this back in the day. And it's a great reminder for us. Broken world. Let's never fail to acknowledge that. We live in a broken world. We have difficult circumstances all around us. And I know you do. But then the most important thing is this, the focus on prayer. There is a God who listens. Amen. There is a God who hears the cries of his people. Broken world, difficult circumstances, but thanks be to God, a God who hears us when we cry out to him in prayer. I couldn't believe that anymore. I'm so thankful that we have a God who in our brokenness and in our pain hears us. He wants us like Jabez did to turn to him in prayer. Faith-fueled prayer. To cry out to the one true and living God who knows that you live in a broken world. Who understands that you deal with difficulty and pain and heartache and loss every single day. He knows that and he understands that. His heart is loving and compassionate towards you and towards me. He knows and he hears and his heart is for you. He asks us to turn to him in prayer. I wonder how broken your circumstances feel. I wonder what you've carried in through these doors. I wonder what difficulties you're going through or you know you're going to go through in 2024. I wonder what it might be. Well, there is a way through our pain. There is a way through it. And do you know what the way through it looks like? It looks like you and me dropping to our knees and coming before the God who loves us, who knows us, and who wants us to bring it all to him in prayer. Sometimes with words, but let's be honest, sometimes without words. Sometimes only with tears. Sometimes with our groans and our mumblings and our stutterings. Do you know it's okay to not be eloquent when you come before God in prayer? We need to understand that. He knows our hearts. He knows the words that, that come out of our mouths before we even breathe them. He's okay to handle your, your groanings. In fact, the scriptures tell us that sometimes we only pray with groans that God fully understands. We bring it before the Lord in prayer. Last week, I had the privilege of going to Corky House. It's a care home um, that our presbytery run and oversee um, with Sam Bailey, one of our elders. Um, Sam brought the guitar. He was the talented one. Um, I just brought myself and just smiled at them and, and tried to... I had a massive... I had a long message prepared. Um, during the course of the meeting, I shortened it to one paragraph. 
Um, Sam was leading those elderly folk nearing the very end of life. Sam was leading them in worship as, he, as we sung hymns and Sunday school songs. It was amazing and massive thanks to Sam Bailey. What a man. Thank you, Sam, so much. You're going to take the whole thing next time. I'm just going to leave it up to you. But Sam led them in singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. So what do we do? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And you know, as I looked around that room, some of those elderly folk at the very end of life who probably would have struggled to have a conversation due to dementia and all kinds of other things were worshiping their hearts out. They knew every word. Hands in the air. What a friend we have in Jesus. Take it to the Lord in prayer. See, the chronicler slows down at moments of prayer. There's another moment in those first nine chapters in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Listen to this. It speaks of how the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were engaged in war. And then we read this in chapter 5, verse 20. They were helped in fighting them, and God delivered the Hagrites and all of their allies into their hands. Why? Because they cried out to God during the battle. He answered their prayers because they trusted in him. There it is again. It's the very same thing, isn't it, that the chronicler wants us to know. In the middle of all of this list of names and, and descendants and son of, son of, son of, we get this moment again, this reminder, same thing, broken world, difficult circumstances, focus on prayer. There's the pattern. Difficult, uh, broken world, difficult circumstances. We come before our God in prayer. God answers them because they trusted in him. You, you might hear me say often that prayer is the language of dependency. I've come to learn that. That, that prayer ought to be as natural to us as God's people as breathing is because prayer is the language of dependency. When we pray, when we speak with God, when we bring ourselves before him in prayer, when we bring our families before him, when we bring our concerns and our heartaches and our joys before him in prayer, it reveals that we depend on him. We depend upon him for everything. In fact, I would go as far as to say that, you know, if we don't pray or if we don't have a place for prayer in our lives, then that may as well be a declaration of independence. And that's frightening for us as Christians or as a church that our lack of prayer would almost point to this subtle belief that we can live independently, that I don't need to ask my God for everything, that I don't need to bring it all before the Lord in prayer. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence and we don't ever want to be like that. 
James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Or maybe you have one of those paintings or your grandparents have one of those paintings up on their wall, you know, with a, a river um, and maybe a, a lovely field and then an old English type font. That verse is underneath it. I've seen this um, in homes that I've been in. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It's the same thing, that, that cry of our hearts. God, I depend on you in prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And so my challenge to, my, to myself and to all of us in the 2024 is that we would be resolved to pray, that we would level up in our prayer life, that we would amplify our own personal prayer lives. Um, if you need any help, by the way, with devotional material, please do come and speak to me or Dan or Shane or any of us who could help point you in the right direction. We're doing a little devotional on prayer as a staff team. I would highly recommend it. I will pass it on um, if anyone wants help with any of that. But let's level up in our prayer life. Let's amplify the place of prayer at home with your husband or wife, with your family, if you have one. On your own, if you live alone, let's amplify the place of prayer at home. I wonder, do we ever pray with a trusted friend? Have you got someone in your life who will sit down with you, who will pray with you, who will pray over you, who will take away what you share with them and in confidence pray for that consistently? Pray over your life for all that you're dealing with. Have you got that? Why don't you find someone Maybe you're sitting beside someone who's thinking the same thing. I need that person. And you're thinking, well, so do I. Why don't you ask each other over a cup of coffee this morning? Do you want to become prayer partners for each other in 2024? Will you see what God does? If you start to pray with someone consistently for and over each other into the year that's to come. What about corporate prayer? I wonder how eager we're going to be into the year ahead to engage in praying with each other whenever those opportunities arise to lay aside other things, other busyness, other activities, to gather together to pray. Men's prayer gathering. Wow. What a good sign that is. The men of carn money are wanting to pray. Praise the Lord. Men, come out and pray tonight if you can. If you can make it, come and pray with the men of this church. Maybe something's happening here. We have a prayer gathering on Wednesday evening. Our men are praying tonight. Maybe there's something going on. Let's amplify the place of prayer. E.M. Bounds, who has written a lot about prayer, writes this, and I'm almost finished. He says, prayer is the child's request. Not to the winds, not to the world, but to the Father. Prayer is the outstretched arms of the child for the Father's help. Prayer is the child's cry calling to the Father's ear, the Father's heart, and to the Father's ability, which the Father is to hear, the Father is to feel, and which the Father is to relieve. Prayer is the seeking of God's great and greatest good, which will not come if we do not pray. Isn't that good? The Father wants you and I to come before him in prayer. 
Let's be resolved to pray. And finally, finally, let's be a resolved uh, people. Uh, let's be resolved to worship the Lord. Resolved to worship. If you read fully through the opening nine chapters of 1 Chronicles, as you're going to do this week, come on, um, you'll notice the centrality in those nine chapters, the centrality of the priests and the Levites in the chronicler's vision of Israel, of God's people. See, they're given extensive attention um, in those chapters, especially in chapter 6 and again in chapter 9. They were those who were to lead the worship of God's people. Why are they given so much attention in those nine chapters? Well, it's very simple. Worship is to be at the heart of the people of God. The chronicler wants the people to know that. And God wants us to be reminded of that this morning. Worship is to be at the very center of who we are as the people of God. We are created to worship God at all times with our everyday lives, in all that we do, in every place that God puts us. We're created to worship God. That's what life is really all about. Is there more to life than this? Yes, there is. You're made to worship God. God has created you to be in relationship with him and to give yourself to him in worship and surrender and adoration of who he is and what he has done. You want to know what life in all of its fullness looks like. That's it. That in and through the person of Jesus, what he has done for us in giving his life for us on the cross, we get to enter into relationship with God Almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and he invites us to live a life of worship where we give him everything that we have. We worship as we scatter, and we worship beautifully when we gather. And it looks like this. And it looks like singing. It looks like praising the name of the Lord God. It's this biblical vision of worship. And so if the presence of God is to be central to the life of the people of God, then worship is the overflow and the only appropriate response to God's presence. Our deepest gratitude for who he is and all that he has done. We worship the Lord through our smiles and through our tears. We worship God through moments of great clarity in life when all seems clear and in moments of greatest confusion, we worship God. Through moments of life in all of its fullness and moments when we feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we worship God. We're created to worship. Can we worship God? Why don't we stand together? We're gonna to worship God in song. Let's stand together. I'm just gonna pray before we sing. It's only 20 past 12. We've at least another 45 minutes. Resolve to trust. I'm calling us. I'm calling us to be resolved to trust God. Calling us to be resolved to pray. I'm calling us to be resolved to worship God with everything that we have. Worship is the opportunity for busy people, writes one person, to touch the eternal. 
For sinners to glimpse the holy. For broken people to be enfolded in his perfect love. Worship is moving beyond our self-centered lives to meet the one who created us for something better. So Heavenly Father, in these moments, we bow in your holy presence. We thank you that you're here among us. Lord God, where we are struggling to trust you, we pray that right now, even as we worship you, that you would instill within us a deep resolve to trust you. Lord God, we thank you that you are the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your plan for us is good and it's perfect. And you will never let us go. So Father, we, we declare that we, we, we love you, we trust you. Give us hearts that will pray to you and with you, speak with you, ask of you, cry out to you. And Lord, in and through it all, may we be those who worship you with everything that we have, with hearts surrendered, with lives offered up to you in sacrifice and surrender. Lord God, we worship you. So lead us now as we respond in one of the best ways that we can worship you as people here on earth with our songs, with words that have been put together to enable us to have words of worship. So lead us now, Spirit of God, as we sing words of adoration and worship of our Heavenly Father, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.